Hi, my name is Dan Sanguinetti, and this is Film Rhapsody. On this week's episode of Film Rhapsody, I sat down with filmmaker, animator, and Canberra film industry icon Marissa Martin. But first, I welcome back Russell to the mic to get a lowdown of another feature project that is currently in development at Sanguinetti Media. Hello, Russell. Welcome back to Film Rhapsody. Hello, Dan. Thank you for having me back on our show. Now, in the last few weeks, uh, we've made some significant developments on a project that has been gestating for quite some time. And this is something that I felt it was really important to share with our audience. Mm -hmm. Uh, Particularly if there is emerging or developing screenwriters out there who might want to learn a little bit more about the process of interacting with a producer. Mm -hmm. Now, I'll openly admit, all producers work in different ways when it comes to developing content, but a process that has grown here at Sanguinetti Media that I actually quite, I I love this process, and that is uh, organising a script reading with actors to essentially perform the script as a sort of formal proof of concept or field testing dialogue or scenes and ideas and things like that. And so I believe, Russell, you've taken that on board, that you know that I really appreciate that process. Mm -hmm. And so you've independently organized a script reading recently and conveniently invited me along. Now, I want to assure all our listeners that Alice is still the number one priority, even though, you know, like we've got a number of projects on our slate, obviously with, uh, we've got Wombat Man that's still in production, we've got... um, Uh, this podcast that we're doing Mm -hmm. on a weekly basis um, as well as uh, our other web series at the phoenix that is moving along in post-production but we've been discussing about how to continue building sanguinetti media's uh, production slate so tell us all about it what is this new project that has been growing inside you for some time and you presented to me recently and got me quite excited about it and wanting to, to make it. Okay, well, this this has been around for about four years now. Back in 2015, the, the two of us met during a thing called the Accelerator Pod, which was basically this initiative put together by Screen Canberra, Silver Sun Pictures, and Odin's Eye as a way of getting a bunch of writers together to come up with concepts for low-budget films, at the end of which they were select four films to go into production. Yeah. One of the films has just come out in the cinema, The Furies by uh, Tony D'Aquino. On the last day of class, I was sort of sitting around and I started wondering about, okay, how can I come up with a film idea that is relatively easy to do, doesn't cost a lot of money and has promise for good returns for the investors? Yeah. And I came up with an idea that was sort of built off paranormal activity. Yeah. And paranormal activity has been this franchise that has been created from so little like that the, mm-hmm. the films don't cost that much money to make at all but they've made millions the first one cost 15 grand if I remember clearly yeah i think they cost a lot more now because they factor in the marketing yeah. and they they kind of work on a much larger scale because obviously um those involved with it know that they make a lot of money so they That's take a true. bigger chunk this time but yes the and they just announced uh, this week uh, paranormal activity seven. Oh my god yeah yeah well congratulations to those producers because yeah you know, they've, they've set themselves up with a franchise that possibly could never end. That is possible, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, so continue to tell us more about where this, this idea is. So, it's, it's kind of paranormal activity, mm-hmm. but what sets it apart? 
Well, the, the idea was basically to do something with found footage, but to get rid of the tropes that just annoyed me and, I guess, a lot of other people. Yeah. Uh, most notably, looking back at Paranormal Activity, there were several scenes where something was happening off screen, but the boyfriend character would, you know, have to grab the camera and take that with him because if he didn't grab the camera, there's no movie. Yeah. So it became a lot sort of like a an unnatural thing that people do with regards to video cameras. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, you, you're running from you know a, a giant monster in Cloverfield. You're not going to be like, oh shit, I better keep it in frame. Yeah, yeah. It's which, just, which, I mean, yeah. I mean, if you search YouTube, it's so rare to find exactly like big disaster moments that are, you know, yeah. kept perfectly still. I mean, just uh, natural human motions kicking. You're freaking out. Yeah. adrenaline's going. You're not thinking of, you know, the perfect picture, the perfect frame. Yeah. So I wanted to get rid of that and heavily script it. Paranormal Activity was completely ad-libbed. I think the um, they went in with a, a overall idea of what the story would be. But when it came down to scenes and shooting scenes, the actors in question just basically ad-libbed their stuff. Yeah. So the idea for my, my script was basically, okay, come up with a, a simple two or three person play that happens to be a film. The story is about a young girl in the 20s. Um, her marriage has just ended, and so she's moving into an apartment by herself. She's uh, been suffering from mental health problems for a long time, and as soon as she's in the house, she sort of succumbs to those mental health problems. She can't leave the house because of her agoraphobia. What she doesn't know is that someone's watching her. So the idea is basically taking something that is mundane, like someone just alone in their house, turning that on its head. So it's basically this psychological drama about isolation and what it can do to a person. The longer you're alone, the longer you allow yourself to uh, focus on your problems, to obsess over your fears, obsess over what happened to you, to ruminate on these problems. Now, it's something I have dealt with in the last few years, and it's something the character will deal with. And it's, I think, something that a lot of people we found with the script reading connect with, especially the young women living alone and how that can basically get to you. You uh, showed us a video to help sort of mm -hmm. explain what this uh, story is about. This video you found on the internet. We're not sure if it's authentic, mm -hmm. but I don't think that matters because what this video does makes... It's very powerful, isn't it? It's very... Yeah, it's very... And it's, it's, it sets exactly what this film w could possibly be. Mm -hmm. um, so what happens in this video? So basically, um, what happens in the video is a guy has been waking up every day to find food missing from his fridge. Yeah. He assumes that he's, it's his girlfriend, that she's got up in the middle of the night and she's sleep eating or something like that. Yeah, and she insists. Yeah, she's she's, she says, it's not, not, not at all, not me, stop blaming me, leave me alone. Yeah. So he sets up a video camera one night to, to film the fridge and to see what's going on. What he finds is a woman crawling down from his uh, uh, attic, attic, hatch, whatever you call it, yeah, yeah. Um, and basically helping herself to food, to uh, watching bit of TV to to uh, relieving herself in his sink and uh, at one point even coming very close to being caught by him before she crawls back up into the crawl space and is gone. So I remember seeing this this video and I have a crawl space yeah. in, in my house. I'm sure you have one. I'm sure most of our listeners have one. So the idea of someone being up there yeah. in this area of the house that we don't go up to. And that there could be somebody there. Someone there. Who's watching us. Who's watching us. And I remember seeing that video going, wow, there's a movie. It's stuck with me for four years. You put together the script reading so that uh, you could essentially present the film to me so I could 
get a sense of what it is because you you sent me the a version of the script and you know I, I read it but I didn't show huge enthusiasm for it. You didn't uh, quite get it yet. Uh, yeah, I didn't quite understand what what the project was um, because a script on its own can only say so much. Mm-hmm. It was a process that really helped. Uh, me understand some of the intricacies of the deeper story elements that you were trying to put together in the project. Tell us a bit about how you put the script reading together. Well, I approached um, one of our friends who's been working with us on Alice yep. um, and asked if she'd be interested in reading it. Uh, this was a five-minute conversation that took two months to take place over, <laughs> over uh, Facebook chat. God bless her. But eventually we got it done. Yeah. Uh, she suggested a few friends, and before I know it, we had pretty much everyone involved. Yeah. At the same time, I'd been talking uh, to another one of our friends um, uh, about maybe coming on as DOP. Because um, yeah. I, I guess the, one of the better things about you sort of not taking to it straight away is that I took it on more than I would normally do. Yeah. I've always considered myself a writer, and I was content to just be a writer. Yeah. And just let the filmmakers do their thing with me, you know. Take, take, yeah, taking your work and yeah. taking it to the next step. So, so you took initiative to actually go, well, I'm going to go out of my comfort zone. Yeah. I'm going to just get it done because I want to get this done. Yeah, and through that I decided I wanted to direct it. For the most part, it's a pretty simple story. Um, in theory, it should hopefully be reasonably simple to shoot. Uh, it's certainly not to the level of Alice. Alice yeah. is much more complicated. So I figured, okay, this is a good way for me to start testing the waters to see if I'm good at directing a film and also producing and if you wanted to come along some way down the track cool if not i'll just um do this by myself for the first time first and foremost i needed to hear the script read out loud i needed to know if the the jokes would land if the drama worked if certain lines that could potentially be problematic or unrealistic actually read right and we accomplished that yeah, and I think I think the lesson that comes out of that process is that, you know, writers should embrace more than just the words on their script. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, yeah, re- a script is great, and a script should be a blueprint. But to get things f- moving forward, a little bit more has to be done. Yeah. Um, you know, yes, it's great to go off and shoot a proof of concept or some other thing, but the cheapest option is just get some actors together and say. Is a script. Come along, listen to it. It's an easy and cheap way of basically um, getting a sense of what your film can be, and it's it's a process that I feel that I would encourage a lot of emerging writers to actually go out there and meet with actors to basically perform the script. Yeah, um, which kind of leads to uh, one last thing before we um, go and have a chat with Marissa Martin. Um, we are planning something for this podcast for close to Christmas. Yes, we are. A little Christmas present. What are we doing? Uh, for our Christmas episode, we're basically going to be unveiling the Alice script, or at least part of it. Yeah. We're going to be bringing in some actors. We're going to be doing a radio play of the first 14 scenes. We're going to bring it to life and give basically the audience a, a bit of a taste of what the movie is like. And, and we feel that this is an important process to essentially... Uh, in- Give, give potential supporters and investors an idea of what we're doing. Just like we did with the proof of concept trailer, mm-hmm. this is our next level of proof of concept. Yeah. Have a sense of what the film would be. So we'll have a pacing, 
we'll have music, we'll have sound effects. We'll get to know the characters a bit. We'll get to know the characters a bit, and we hopefully will give us get people excited about the film that we want to make. Yeah, they, they can share our excitement. You know, this is we're very excited about unveiling this. We're also very terrified, but hey, what the hell? You can't sit on your writing forever. We're going to unveil and hopefully have a Christmas miracle. So stay tuned for that podcast. Uh, we're hopefully in about five weeks from now, around December 13th. Around that, yep. Next up, we move to my chat with Marissa Martin from earlier this year, where I began the conversation talking about our guest from two weeks ago, Hugh Sanderson, and his award-winning Lights, Camber Action films. When you look at things like the films that Hugh Sanderson makes... Yeah, they're quite bleak <laughs> and, 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 and have a very strong political message to it as well. And we talked... Quite a bit. With, I talked quite a bit with you about that. So, um, mm. I, I think I think a thing that I definitely took away from films that, um, particularly that Hugh produced, were he always had a message or a or like a, a, a story that needed to be said. Uh, he had something to say. Yeah, and, and and I think that's why I thought his films were some of the strongest to go through. Mm. Um, is because he actually wanted to tell uh, something important. Yeah. Whatever the idea was. He had a reason for the, – the films had reasons. Yeah. You know, and that's fantastic. I mean, yeah. I love a good, you know, film that's just fun, um, but a film that has something to say is something that will stay with you longer yeah. Yeah. because you'll keep thinking about it and you'll keep um, mulling it over in your mind. And so Hugh's films, you know, apart from being technically exceptional, yeah. um, had that in them, that they were um, – I don't want to say enjoyable, <laughs> but they were satisfying yeah. from a from a viewer's point of view because they were a complete little you know story, um, and it had something important to to share. Hugh has a political um, mindset, and he's interested in in social welfare and all those sorts of things, and that's why that comes through his work. Do you get jealous that you can't make films for LCA? <laughs> um, and, I mean, and we can talk about Flicker Fest in a moment mm. because I think that's a, a pretty exciting, important thing that we should mention. But um, do, do you feel if you were able to enter, you would be <laughs> making a film every year like everyone else? I certainly would have in the first couple of years. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I, I was, yeah, um, when we first made it, I was a young filmmaker. I was um, keen to make films. I, you know, I wanted experience you know, opportunities like this. Absolutely. Probably for the first 10 years, I would have last couple of years, maybe, you know, I'm old now. So <laughs> I'm tired, <laughs> but possibly because having a deadline and having a focus is really great for creativity yeah. in a lot of ways. I mean, I ran Can- Canberra short film festival for five years and every year I was, I was jealous. I couldn't enter that, yeah. you know, um, because that meant that was a, f- you know, I could make a film anytime during the year and submit that. Whereas, um, Lights Canberra is more intense. Um, but, you know, I, I was making films that I couldn't enter. Um, I was making, you know, films that I was putting a lot of effort into, a lot of money into, that were doing well all over the place but couldn't screen in Canberra. Yeah. And that's because I was running Lights, Canberra Short Seasons and Canberra Short. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just because no one else would. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> but thankfully, Canberra Short has found its new home um, with Silver Sun and um, John Frolic and... Um, they've managed to um, keep it going for many years now, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, and um, short seasons, unfortunately, um, ran its course. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, maybe I would because it would be fun. Yeah. You know, I know people who make films for Lights Canberra because 
because it's fun and it's the only time they make a film and they know they've got a deadline and they're super excited and it's just a bit just a way to do something and mm. have it finished yeah, yeah yeah so i guess what why i ask that because um i mean i think you're a very talented filmmaker oh thank you uh <laughs> tegan the vegan is one of my favorite animations <laughs> and uh i'm so glad you got to, to post it because i got to see it again recently but yeah. it was good timing because obviously you finished uh another short film yeah this and um you've uh, taken out a pretty major award for it, I think. Yes, um, yeah, thank uh, you. Flicker Fest is, <laughs> yeah. uh, I think, a, an aspiration for a lot of filmmakers. If it's not Trot Fest, it's, it's probably Flicker Fest. Mm. Um, but it took you seven years. Yeah. And for <laughs> me, uh, and this is, this is part of where me wanting to do this podcast is about, is I'm so determined this year to make content on a regular basis so I get better. Yeah. I would have found it so frustrating to have been in your position mm. where you've got, you're running an incredible festival and you can't enter it <laughs> and you're working on this animation that is, 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 it was exciting years ago when you talked about it and when you shared bits about it and now to hear that it, it, it is getting adored and loved and winning a major award. It like, to me that I would be frustrated. I would be like, how, like what, for you, what? Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm trying to understand how you... How I kept going. How you kept going. <laughs> I know you've been working, you know, around the, te- you know, like cities and working on p- projects and things. So I guess, you know, you've not stopped. Mm. But it, like for me, uh, I'm trying to trying to find a place where um, I'm content with what I'm doing and, and feel, feel that I'm doing the right thing and I'm making progress and growing as much mm. as possible. How's that work for you <laughs> and... Yeah, the thing is animation is so different in a lot of ways because it's so time intensive and everything is slower. Um, I mean, I did make – I've made a few things while I've been making this film. So I made – I've made video clips and I've made um, other short films that have done okay and such, but nothing with the sort of, you know, intention that Delamorte had. So Delamortico um, is a steampunk – film so that you know you can imagine what that means in terms of production design yeah, yeah, yeah. huge amounts of design and um i think when we first started started on it and we took it to project pod Cam- screen canberra's project pod um this was eight years ago yeah, yeah. um and we started developing it into a much larger project um I, we really developed the characters to a point where you know mum and i were like because my mother worked on it with yeah. me we're like we love these girls so much we're ready to spend the next decade with them yeah um and it would have been nice to do more with them than just the one film but the money ran out yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um we you know, we did all the bulk of the original filming and all of the all of the um, acting, all of the voice recording, all of that early on, and then we spent the next sort of year or so um, making it. But then, you know, the arts grant ran out, so it was a matter of I need to work now, and then I'll get back to it. Work, get back to it. Work, get back to it. Um, when I made Tegan, I was fortunate enough that um, I was able to work three three days a week um, every week for six months, and then we shot it in that time. So I had two days a week of paid work that was enough to keep me, you know, pay my bills. Um, And then I could spend three full days a week um, shooting. And then I would spend almost every evening doing post on it um, or building the next set or, you know, making tiny props and stuff. Um, Whereas this film, um, 
you know, I had family commitments and life gets in the way and all those sorts of things, which meant that I couldn't work on it as intensely as I worked on Tegan. Um, and I had to spread it out. But every time I looked at it again, I would go, it's so beautiful. Yeah. And that's what kept me going. Yeah. Yeah. I would look at a frame and go, gee, it's pretty. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, gee, we've made magic here and I yeah. just need to tidy it up or I, you need to do the edit or um, there was a time, it was about two years ago, we thought we were finished and I showed it to some people and the feedback was there was a story point missing here, a bit of a plot hole here a scene that we'd cut out probably had to go back. Um, so then it took us two years to shoot those extra scenes. We yeah. actually wrote a scene to fill that plot hole. Yeah. Um, and so it was a bit of, we thought we were done. Yeah. <laughs> and then, but I really wanted it to be perfect. Yeah. Cause I remember God years ago when electric shadows, uh, closed. Yeah. They had their um, Evolution Film Festival and um, I was lucky enough to have um, a retrospective of my short work played then um, and watching some of them <laughs> made me cringe. Some of them I was like, oh, no, you know, because they were student films or films that I'd made just out of school or something and I would cringe occasionally when something happened on screen and I just thought to myself at that time, I never want to cringe again. When I watch my work, I want to be sitting there going, this is so good. Yeah. And so Tegan was the first film I made after that and, you know, I'm really proud of Tegan. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I watched that film and go, yeah, it's gorgeous. You know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I wanted the same experience here. And so that's what uh, made it take so long. I spent six months tidying frames you know um digitally tidying up frames and putting smoke in and steam in and um if something wasn't right i would reshoot it or i would you know uh, get in there and cg fix it um because i wanted to be super proud of the work i wanted it to be as perfect as it could be so that's why it took so long (laughs) but i mean that i think is probably why now it will be remembered and it's what was worth it. Mm. And I think, I mean, I, I, I find as well to hear that you actually went back and redid things and that's what added more time. That That is a big, big thing for me that I've encouraged on um, student filmmakers that I work with or, or those I'm mentoring and going, you should go back. Mm. And it's, it's very easy because I, I as a student would be like, nah, it's done, move yeah. on. Yeah. But having that, that, that critical analysis of yourself to go, it is not quite there and you should have the time to go back mm. because, you know, like it's important to to making sure everything is, is working and everything is there. Mm. Um, and that is something I want to learn better <laughs> and I want to I want to be able to have that opportunity. I've just got one last question and, mm-hmm. and just sort of get a get a, a piece of advice, I guess. There's a, there are filmmakers out there who um, have either done student work or they're looking to make the next step. Um, I mean, what word of advice could you give? Apart from, uh, you know, obviously, you know, give it your best shot, get out there, do it. Is, is there something that from your past where you've, you've realised, oh, that was a mistake or something like that, where you <laughs> could, you know, you could go back and tell yourself? Yeah. What's, what's that? Well, when I, um, before I made Tegan, so I was a live action filmmaker. I still am a live action filmmaker. Mm. Um, I'm lucky enough to have received an, an, a Screen ACT grant this year, Screen Canberra. Yeah. So I'll be making another film this year, which is very exciting. Yeah. Um, but the reason I got into animation was because I, 
you know, my life was out of control and I needed to control on something. And you can control everything in an animation. Um, And it, it suited my particularness. But that said, you know, you can make the most beautiful, flashy, exciting, um, technically amazing film. If it doesn't connect with the audience, they'll get bored and they won't pay any attention. And I've watched a lot of short films, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. Um, And the ones that connect with um, judges are often the ones that come from something real. And whether it comes from a personal experience of the filmmaker or um, just something that is quite easily relatable um that the audience can then relate to themselves that is so important so when i went to make tegan i thought well i'm tired of making films you know that are cool or whatever because that was the sort of films i was making before that things that were kind of interesting and you know backwards films and single shot films and stuff that were difficult um and certainly satisfying in some way but that weren't they were doing all right at festivals but i wanted to go that next level up and i and I thought, well, I need to make, if I can only make one story, what do I want to say? What's the most important thing for me to, to share with the world? What is my, if I can only say one thing, what is it? And for me, um, vegetarianism, veganism is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought I'm going to make a film about a little vegan girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and how hard she finds it in a meat eating world. Yeah. And that's where Tegan came from. And it came from a really personal, um, meaningful place um and even though the story is not my story exactly um and i've added in lots of comedy and a romantic storyline and all Mm. sorts of stuff it started from a really true place in me um and Stella Mordecai is kind of similar in that it's about three sisters and it's about their relationship with each other and it's about how important family is and it's about how you know with a strong family bond you know you can do something awful to your sister and she will still love you yeah. <laughs> um, and she will still forgive you and you'll still be able to, you know, move on together. Um, that that bond is stronger than bad behaviour yeah. um, or a small amount of bad behaviour anyway. Um, and again, it was sure it's, you know, I was really excited by the visual style and the style of animation, the paper cutouts and all of that, but it came back to it's about family. Yeah. Um, and they're the films that speak to people because there's always someone else out there. A lot of people who saw Tegan said it was just about being different and a, um, a woman um, said, because she, she's deaf, and she said to me that she saw it and re- recognised herself as the, the girl who was being teased because she was different. Um, and it didn't matter that it was about you know food. It, for her, it was about her difference, which was deafness. Yeah. Um, and likewise, Della Mordica people, sure, it's about, you know, there's a boy and two girls like, you know, two sisters think he's cute and whatever, but it's not really about that. It's really about family and how important um, sibling relationships are. Um, and that connects with people, even if, you know, you're not a 15-year-old girl, you'll still recognise yourself in those characters. Uh, and that's what works, I think. That's what connects with judges and audiences and makes your film uh, go places. Cool, cool. Um, if people want to see Tegan the Vegan, where can they f- see that? Uh, they can see it on teganthevegan.net. Yep. Um, so it's on Vimeo um, and you just Google Tegan the Vegan short film, you'll find it. Yep. Uh, and But it is on the website teganthevegan.net. Yep. Um, and, and yeah, Della Morca, when, when, like I know it's a flicker fest that's yep. happened, 
What's yep. next? It's going on its festival run now. So um, Flickrfest was the first uh, big festival to screen it and um, hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll get into a bunch of others and you'll be able to see it at, you know, at various festivals. Eventually it'll go online, um, but at the moment it's on its festival run. Well, yeah. thank you for chatting and thank you for talking on my podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, thank you. Oh, can I just say... The film you made where all the the black and white film, this was one of the early epitaph. Yeah. Yeah, where you had all those people lying down in the middle of Civic Square. Yeah. That shot still, I still think of it. It's one of my favourites <laughs> of all of Lights Canberra films. What time of day did you shoot that? 6.30am okay, on yeah. a Sunday morning. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was dead. We were so worried that there would be people there and we were preparing for, uh, to tell, oh, can you move away? But it was dead. Yeah. It was absolutely, and it wasn't until at least eight o'clock. Yeah, right. When, yeah. And um, we, we we were disappointed with how many people turned up, but it just worked out really well. It, yeah, no, it look, it's so a very, good. very memorable shot. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Just yeah. the idea of, of seeing such a well-known Canberra location yeah. with everybody lying dead, basically, yeah. on the ground. I just, it still strikes me. Yeah. Still hits me here. 2005, that was. <laughs> A long time ago. <laughs> it's But it's so good yeah. and it stays. You know, yeah. some things stay with you and that moment in that film yeah. stayed with me. Since I last spoke to Marissa earlier this year, Della Mortica, Carousel of Shame, has now gone on to be selected in a number of film festivals, including the Atom Awards, where it was a finalist for Best Animation, the St Kilda Film Festival, and it received a nomination at the Perth Revelation Film Festival. The film was also shortlisted for Best Animation for this year's AACTA Academy Awards and it won Best Film at the Canberra Short Film Festival. You can find out more about the film at delamortica.com. On our next episode, Russell and I explore Hollywood's remake culture that has taken hold in the last decade, where audiences seem to look for the familiarity over originality and how this could affect the future marketing plan for Alice. Film Rhapsody is produced by Dan Sanguinetti and Russell Lee for Sanguinetti Media. Head to sanguinettimedia.com.au to subscribe to all our episodes. Oh, I didn't record it.